Welcome to Christian Faith Center. We're a church that meets in multiple locations. If you'd like to know more about our church, just head to our website, experiencecfc.com. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Come on, isn't it exciting what God's doing through Christian Faith Center? Man, I'm so thankful for this season and all that the Lord is doing. We're, we're pumped not just to do one global team. We're believing God for two or three global teams next year around the world. So exciting stuff. Hey, listen, um, I, I want to get this man of God up here as fast as I possibly can. But I'd be doing him a disservice to not introduce him to you. This is the very first time I've been able to get one of my very best friends, uh, Pastor Josh Morocco, uh, has been able to make it um, to Idaho. Um, Absolutely unbelievable. I've been so encouraged and inspired by what God is doing through him, his team, and his family. Him and his father um, lead a church that has almost 500 locations around the world. They are seeing thousands and thousands of people come to know Jesus. They are expanding at a rate I have personally never seen reaching different countries, states, nations. It's absolutely unbelievable. Every time I have had the opportunity to be with them, I am always inspired uh, and, and built in my faith and encouraged by what is possible if God puts his hand upon a church. And so I've been looking for an opportunity to get him here, and it just happened that he had a couple of days in between him going to one place and another and then heading back to the islands, and we were able to snag him. And I said, hey, would you come and preach the word of God to us and meet our church? So I want you to do me a huge favor today. I want you to put your hands together and give Pastor Josh Morocco a great big CFC welcome as he comes and preaches the word of God to us. Love you, brother. So glad you could be hey, here. Hey, good morning. How you guys doing? Man, in second service, you guys look good. I'm telling you. God is so awesome. You guys excited about the word this morning? You guys ready to jump into the word of the Lord? Anybody here just love the Bible? Like you, are you, you just infatuated with the word of God. I love it. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 25 as we get into the word. As you're turning there, you know, I, this first service, I felt like the Lord gave me a word for your, your pastors. And I just got to tell you, they really are some of my uh, most favorite people on planet Earth. And I thank God for this God connection. I actually met Pastor Jordan at a CMN um, encounter weekend. I don't even know what that thing was, but it was awesome. Changed my life. He gave me COVID. It was wonderful. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but I, I'm, he's a kindred spirit. Both he and Pastor Man, and absolutely amazing people. You have some of the greatest pastors, and not not just your your lead pastors, but even your staff. I'm telling you, this staff is incredible. And I one of the things I've been very impressed by. You know, you go to certain churches like, wow, this facility is amazing, and this is awesome. And even even though you guys have a great facility and a great team, great worship, your pastors. And the team here are so impressive to me because they love you. They really do. And they love one another. There's such a unity on this team. And I, I'm just so impressed by them. Can we just give it up for your, your senior pastors? Give it up for your team. Your They're amazing people. Absolutely amazing. And I gave a word to Pastor Jordan and Pastor Amanda in the first service. And um, I, I just kind of want to let you guys know that in this season, I want you to understand where this church is going. The Lord is going to do something so miraculous through this church. This church is going to become the hub for the supernatural. Yeah. 
because you've honored, you know how to honor God's presence. And when you honor God's presence, the Bible says that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly, diligently seek him. You know what the greatest reward is? Not money, not popularity. The greatest reward is his presence. And God is going to manifest his presence in a very incredible, wonderful, and unique way in this church. This church is going to be marked by the presence of God. This church is going to be marked by miracles and signs and wonders. The deaf ears shall hear, the blind eyes shall see, the dead shall be raised. And you're going to have just weekly occurrences of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and miracles and signs and wonders. But this is what I love. It's not going to be weird. You know, the unfortunate thing is you either have the, the ultra weird and it's like, oh, that's strange. Or you have this ultra seek, seeker or sensitive where, oh, no, that's not allowed here. But God's going to give you guys a balance. The, it's, not, it's not one or the other. It's both in. And God's going to give you a balance where people will know what it is. There's going to be a peace in this place. And it's going it's, it's to permeate your city. And God's going to use you to, to see an incredible multiplication of that in your church. It's not just going to happen here in service. It's going to happen in stores. It's going to happen at grocery stores. And, and it's going to happen in the streets, the highways and byways. And so I just cement that over your church, cement that over your lives. And I, I do want to pray just for a, a moment. I want to just take a moment because there's someone here suffering. Who, who's that person that's been suffering with issues with your jaw? I see someone having pain in their jaw. If that's you, just put your hand right where that pain is. And I, wanna, I just want to pray for you right now. Father, I thank you that you are a God that heals. And I speak to that pain in that jaw in Jesus' name, that discomfort that's there. Even at times it feels like I see in the middle of the night, this side of your neck will start hurting because of the, your jaw. And Father, I just pray healing now in Jesus' name. That person that's, that has, uh, you have a rib popping out. Who is that? You got an issue with your ribs. Just put your, just wave at me. You don't, you can you just do that, one of those things. Father, I pray right now healing. Just put, put your hand where that pain is. Father, I thank you for your healing power right now. Lord, you're a God that heals. You're a God that does a wonderful work, and we declare it in the mighty name of Jesus. And I just want to speak this over you, woman of God. There's um, uh, the lady that has your hand on your rib. Um, This is a season of incredible peace and rest. You're going to experience rest like you've never experienced before. And it's not just a physical rest. It's a rest in your mind. It's a rest in your spirit. There's like a new ease just coming upon you where you went through a season of some tension here and there. God says, I'm going I'm to let you know what it is to rest in my presence and rest in my love and peace. And Father, I just cement that now over her life in the mighty name of Jesus. Um, last row, all the way in the back there, black shirt, red, uh, red design on your shirt there. I, I feel like the Lord says he's doing a miracle in your family. And you're going to know what it is to see reconciliation and restitution. And I, I see is like when I looked at you, it's almost like all those seats that are next to you are reserved for who's going to be coming with you. And there's going to be salvation after salvation, healing after healing. And there's some deep things that the Lord says, I'm going to the root of the pain. And like a stinger, it's almost like the the bee's gone, but the stinger's still there. God says, I'm removing the stinger. And you're going to know what it is to see the healing hand of God be released upon your, your family.
Addictions are broken. Bondages are broken. Freedom. Your, your family is going to be marked by freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus some praise in this place. Come on, CFC, let's worship the Lord this morning, and let's thank him. Are you guys ready to get into the word? Here we go, Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Someone said, get your own oil. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went with him to the wedding banquet, and the doors were shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day. Or the hour. Let's pray. Father, I pray in this brief moment that I have to share your word. I, Lord, I pray for a spirit of encouragement to rest in this house. Lord, that the work of your spirit that brings the word to life in this place would come. Rest in this place, Holy Spirit. Open our ears to hear, our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. The title of my message, if you're taking notes this morning, is don't miss it. Look at that person next to you. Say, don't miss it. How many of you are convinced that God wants to do something significant in your life? Come on, anybody here, you're like, you're convinced, hey, God wants to do something amazing in my life. How many of you guys have ever missed this, like, divine moment where God, like, sets you up to experience something wonderful and something awesome, and you just weren't there? Can I just tell you, I've had a lot of those moments in my life where I've missed God. I don't, I don't like missing God. I want to be right where God's called me to be. I want to be right in the midst of what God is doing. And can I tell you, CFC, God wants to do something so significant in this church. God wants to do something so significant in your own personal life. But we've got to be careful that we don't miss what God is doing. Now, we understand that in this parable that Jesus is sharing, he is specifically speaking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's encouraging the people saying, hey, look, I'm going to die, but I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to ascend into heaven, and I'm coming back for my church. I'm coming back for my bride. Jesus is speaking specifically of his second coming. However, he's also giving us day-to-day keys and disciplines so that in our everyday life we don't miss him we don't miss what he wants to do and what he's doing are you convinced that God wants to do something significant through you this is what I believe if we can leave this place with a passion heart to say, Lord, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning with a determination to say, I don't want to miss you. I want to be right where you called me to be. I want to be right in the midst of what you're doing. Can I tell you, we're going to start seeing miracles like never before. We're going to start having victory and breakthrough. Anybody here want some victory? Anybody here want some, some breakthrough in your life? Come on.
then let's not miss it. I want us to look at this passage, and really as we extrapolate from this passage, we have to understand something very unique. As Jesus is speaking to the people this parable, he's trying to to display and give a revelation of the kingdom of God and an understanding of the kingdom of God through this parable. But in order for us to truly understand what Jesus is saying, we have to understand the cultural, historical context. Jesus is speaking to a people that we may not understand today. Like, for example, in a Jewish wedding, there are three stages of a Jewish wedding. The first stage of a Jewish wedding is the engagement. The father of the bride comes and actually, or the father of the groom comes and purchases the bride from the father of the bride. So there's an actual purchasing that takes place. That's the initial engagement. It's the two fathers coming together and there's a purchasing that happens. The second stage of the Jewish wedding is the betrothal. Now many of you remember the story of Joseph and Mary that they were betrothed to be married. They weren't married yet. This is the the mother and father of Jesus. They weren't married yet. They were betrothed. What does that mean? Is that they were in covenant with one another. They had a ceremony of a mutual promise that yes, we're going to be married. I'm in covenant with you. But the third stage of the Jewish wedding was the consummation. And they would come together and they would consummate the marriage. But what was interesting is between the betrothal and the consummation, the groom would go away and he would actually, for a whole year, he'd go away and he'd build a house for his bride. But what was unusual is not only would he build a house for his bride, is he wouldn't have a set time where he would return his bride would have to be waiting unannounced. She would have to be waiting for him to come. Can I tell you what's so amazing? Listen to this parallel. We've all been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Come on, how many of you guys thank God that he purchased us? We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. We've been given a brand new covenant through what Christ did on the cross through his grace. But how many of you guys know that Jesus is coming back in John 14, 1? It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Come on, this is speaking to you, church. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Right now, Jesus is preparing a place for us, and he's coming. I'm so thankful that Jesus is coming back for his church, his bride. Come on, somebody. But what's so amazing is we can't understand what's taking place unless we truly understand the context of what Jesus is saying about himself. Now realize that Every person that's listening to this parable that Jesus is speaking, every single one of them have the perspective of the bride and the groom from an Old Testament perspective. You see in the book of Isaiah, in the book of Jeremiah and Hosea, there's this mention of the bride and the groom in the Old Testament. So for the children of Israel, they've always seen the groom as God and the bride as Israel. But now Jesus is saying something so significant. And for those who have ever questioned whether or not Jesus actually claimed to be the Messiah, can I tell you right here, this is a spoiler, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. He actually claimed to be the groom. And here in Mark 2, 19, we see very clearly Jesus 
says. Here's his, his disciples that are they're being criticized because they're not fasting. And Jesus is like, listen, they don't fast when the groom is present. Jesus is actually referring to himself as the groom. Do you know what that means? That in the Old Testament, the groom was God, the bride was Israel. But in the New Testament, the groom is Christ and the bride is his church. Come on, you are the bride of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I think I need to rejoice. I'm excited about that because I know what comes with being the church, what comes with being the bride of Christ. Come on, there's blessing, there's relationship, there's intimacy with God that comes through being his bride. But When you look at this passage, you can't help but ask some questions. Anybody in here, you're like me, where you start reading the Bible, you're like, okay, wh- Why? Why did that happen like that? Jesus, why did you do that? And when I'm listening to this parable, I go, okay, Lord, I need to understand a few things. Like, for example, number one, why 10? Now, I think it's a little cryptic, right? I'm the kind of guy, like, I want to understand the deeper meaning of 10. I got news for you. There's no deeper meaning for 10. It's not like a holy number. It's like, okay, now I'm going to start. I'm going to have 10 everything now, right? You're going to have like 10 different things. I got No, 10 donuts, not just one, 10 donuts, right? 10 Twinkies, 10 jelly beans. You're going to start wearing 10 on everything. No, stop. There's nothing cryptic, nothing significant except for this. This is what's cool. When you do a deep dive into the Jewish culture and the wedding culture and these stages, you find something really cool is that the size of the wedding party points to the status of the groom. The size of the wedding party points to the status of the groom. Do you know what Jesus is saying? This groom is not just some run-of-the-mill dude. This is somebody special. This is somebody important. I'm like, the, the picture I'm painting, this is what Jesus is doing. The picture I want to paint for you is I want you to understand the importance of the groom. This is a big, this wedding is a big deal. Can I tell you something? What Jesus is doing with the church is a big deal because he's a big deal. But then I ask myself this question, why virgins, Jesus? What you got against married people, Jesus? But I truly believe the reason why Jesus mentioned virgins because you didn't have to be a virgin to be a part of a wedding party in that culture. But I believe that the reason it was virgins was because Jesus wanted to paint a picture of a people that were waiting, that were not preoccupied with other things, that had their hearts set on their responsibility. See, there's, there was no pressing issue for, for a virgin bridesmaid. There's no pressing issue. i got to go take care of my kids. i got to go take care of my husband. i got to do this. And they, they could have been sold out to the cause. Now, look, I'm not encouraging you to uh, neglect your responsibilities, all right? Don't neglect your children. Don't, don't neglect your spouse. Can I get an amen? Come on, spouse, hit them and say amen. Listen. However, at the same time, what's imperative for us to understand is that we have a responsibility. And too often, we become so preoccupied with the things of this world, really things that don't even matter in the light of eternity. We become so carnally focused that we're missing eternity. And what Jesus is saying is that we need a people, the church needs to become a people that are focused on what he's doing. 
that can wholeheartedly focus on what God is doing here on earth versus, well, I got to do this and I have all these other, I have all these other things, Jesus, I can't do. Jesus, I can't do what you want because I got to do this. I want to be someone that is engaged in what Jesus is doing. I want to have his heart. So I have to be careful that I don't become preoccupied with other things that really don't make that much of a difference. Be careful. The third question is why the delay? Anybody in here impatient? Right? I got problems. That's why I hang out with your pastors because I'm super impatient. I need somebody to help me, help sharpen me up. I, I, he's a very patient person. I love him. Maybe I don't know him that well because Pastor Amanda's like, you hearing this? You're patient. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you? Can I tell you? I struggle in this area. I, 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 I don't like delay. I want things now. I know none of you can relate to what I'm saying. I want it now. And I want it excellent, I want it awesome, and I want it now. But you know what's unusual is when you understand that culture, you recognize that majority of the marriages were arranged marriages. So you know what that means is that the groom didn't really know the passion and the love that the bride had for him because the marriage was arranged. Typically, it was arranged. So how in the world would a groom find out how vigilant, diligent, and passionate (laughs) that bride was for the groom? Well, typically the reason why there was no set date for the returning of the groom is because the groom would intentionally have a delay to see the response of the bride to see the passion of the bride. With the bride, when the groom showed up with the bride, be like, you know what, you took too long, forget you. You should have come back last week. See, if you would have come back last week, I wouldn't have met this guy, and if I wouldn't have met this guy, then it's your own fault. It's it's your own fault. You should have come back sooner, right? Oh, you must not like me. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this, this is what happens with the bride, is that the groom's delayed, so all of a sudden the bride's like, well, he doesn't love me. He rejected me. All these different things, but see, a bride that was passionate for her groom, in that delay, her passion and her diligence and her vigilance was revealed. Jesus is coming back for a bride that's passionate. And delay, one thing that's amazing, is delay reveals your motives. I know some of you are going through a season of delay right now. And you may be frustrated at God. You may be irritated right now at God. You may be saying, God, you know what, God, if you don't move right now, I'm moving on. But can I tell you that delay? God wants to use that delay to bring forth that passion from you. He wants that passion to be revealed from your life. Friends, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't get discouraged in the midst of delay. Stay passionate, my friends. Stay vigilant. Let your heart continue to be toward Christ and what he's doing. I know some of you are frustrated right now, but don't give up in the midst of delay. Stay passionate. Stay vigilant. Stay watchful. 
the last question that I had to ask is, Jesus, who are you talking to? Have you ever been in a service where it felt like Pastor Jordan was talking just to you? Like, he's totally like singling you out in the middle of the service. You're like, Pastor Jordan, why you got to spread my junk all over the place to everybody, let everybody know what I'm going through. And he has no idea what's going on in your life. He's just listening to the Holy Spirit, but you're taking it personally because he's talking to you. So I'd ask myself this question, Jesus, who are you? Who are you talking to in this moment? Because we have to understand Jesus, Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride, but he's talking about the bride's maids. And they had a certain responsibility. He wasn't just talking because Jesus, you have to realize something. Jesus grew up in a monogamous culture. That means there was one husband, one wife. So he's not talking about polygamy here. He's not saying, hey, we've got ten wives. That would have been weird. The people would have been like, yeah, we're shutting this one down. This Jesus lost it. He's in a part of a cult here. This is weird. No. Jesus is talking to a specific culture, but he's also, as he begins to explain the responsibilities of the bridesmaid, we understand something so powerful. Who is Jesus talking to? Can I tell you that in that moment, I truly believe, because when you understand the responsibility of a bridesmaid, I truly believe that Jesus was talking about the leaders, the religious rulers, and the religious leaders. See, when you understand the responsibility of a bridesmaid, this is amazing. The first responsibility of a bridesmaid is the reason why those lamps were so important. It's because as the groom and his wedding party showed up, their first responsibility was to celebrate, to celebrate the coming of the groom. See, their main responsibility, this, this is what's awesome, are you ready? The bride would tell the bridesmaids, listen, I want you to make my groom feel so special when he shows up. Like, because really, you are the first expression of the love that I have for him. And so when he shows up, I want you to just ooze over him. So the first thing that a bridesmaid would do is as soon as the groom showed up, they'd rush to him with these lamps ready and they'd just ooze, oh, you're amazing and you're wonderful and you're all, they just go for it. Their, main, their first responsibility was to celebrate the coming of the groom. Sometimes I get a little concerned with the condition of the celebration of the church today. Because Jesus is right in our midst, and we're like, whatever. It's not a big deal. You know, the worst part is, there were people who dedicated their entire life, ever since they were little kids, dedicated their entire lives to recognize the Messiah. And here was the Messiah right in front of them, and they couldn't recognize him. Friends, there's no difference between the church then and the church now, is sometimes I wonder if Jesus was to show up in a room like he did this morning, if we would even recognize him, if we would even celebrate him. We have to get back to that place where we become people that celebrate the coming and the presence of Jesus. That's why worship is so important. Guys, worship isn't just some useless Activity that we do in church to just take up some time. It's a moment where we celebrate the coming of his presence. The second responsibility that a bridesmaid would have is not only to celebrate, but I love this part. Are you ready for this one? This, is, this, one's, this was awesome. 
is the second responsibility is now they would celebrate the groom. But then those bridesmaids would use their lamps and they would usher in the presence of the groom to the bride. Can I tell you, God wants to use you to usher in his presence. Now you see, we understand there's two types of presence that we have with God. We have his omnipresence, which means God is everywhere. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. But we also have the manifest presence of God. Where two or more gathered, there I am in the midst that God desires to manifest his presence, but can I tell you, God is waiting for a people that will usher in his presence. Will you be one that ushers in the presence of God? Can I tell you, you don't have to just wait till church. You can usher in the presence of God at Walmart, at Costco. Come on, somebody. You can usher in the presence of God at a gas station. You can usher in the presence of God in the streets. But the third responsibility, not only did a bridemaid celebrate not only did the bridesmaids usher in the presence, but can I tell you, the bridesmaid, one of their primary responsibilities was to make sure that the bride was aware of his coming. To make sure that the bride knew that the groom had arrived. Friends, your responsibility as a church pastors and leaders, one of your primary responsibilities is to make sure that a world knows that Jesus is coming. He has arrived. The Bible says, how will they know unless someone tells them? And how will they tell them unless they're sent? Friends, the, the, the world needs a mobilized church, not just a church that's sitting meditating on their navel, waiting for the next service to show up so that they can put, they can make sure that they cement their butt cheek mark on their chair. I just said butt cheek in church. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I just, I just went back to youth pastor days. Sorry, sorry. I'm coming back. I've got to fulfill my religious obligation. It's more than just a waiting on Jesus and the second coming. It's a mobilization of the church to let a world know that Jesus is coming back. To let them know that he's coming to usher in his presence. How will Idaho know unless somebody tells them? So, Pastor, what do we do? Let me just give you real quickly four disciplines to be ready so that we don't miss God. Are you ready? Number one, confront complacency. The five foolish bridesmaids, and I want you to hear this, they're unreadiness was indicative of their complacency toward their responsibility. They didn't take their responsibility as important. They didn't take it seriously. Friends, our responsibility as a church and as a people of God is so important. Your call and your destiny is important. And we, we can't live a life of complacency. Oh, it's no big deal. Ah, my call. It's a big deal. Your responsibility is a big deal. Don't be complacent. The second discipline, not only is complacency a discipline, but the second discipline is we got to fill up. Come on, look at that person next to you and say, oil up. I mean, fill up. 
Is that inappropriate? I'm sorry. I was actually going to title that second one, Oil Up, but then I was like, that's probably inappropriate. And that person next to you and say, fill up. And we got to fill up. Can I tell you, I'll never, ever run out of gas ever again because I had a situation. So I made an interval. I'm like, I will never run out of gas ever again. So I make sure, man, when my, when my tank gets to a certain level, I'm like, we're putting gas in. My wife's like, oh, we're not on empty yet. I was like, no, let me tell you something. I'm putting gas in this thing. But you know, what's interesting is when we look at the church, there's so many of us that, man, we just kind of, we putter in right, right into church, like almost on empty. I made it to church. I mean, some of us, man, we are straight up in brawls on our way to church, right? And this is supposed to be a fill station. The church is a place where you can come and get filled up. But friends, you got to realize something. You have to have your own personal discipline to fill up every day. Isn't it interesting? The five wise virgins tell the five foolish virgins, get your own oil. Get your own oil. Friends, you need your own anointing. In the Bible, we see that oil represents the anointing. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we need to fill up every single day. We need to get our own oil. You can't rely upon your pastor's oils to fill you up. Come on, you can't rely upon their anointing. You have to get your own anointing. you got to fill up. You need to pray in the Holy Spirit every day. Build yourself up. Book of Jews says build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You need to fill yourself up on the word. Don't just rely upon the incredible word that Pastor Jordan gives you every Sunday. you got to fill up in prayer. you got to get filled up with the presence of God. But the third discipline that we see is we need to trim our wicks. It's interesting these wicks would be in the reservoir and they would rest in this reservoir and the way that you would, it, what would happen is this, this wick would be used to bring the oil in the reservoir up to the surface and then they would light the wick. But they had to constantly trim that wick. And the disciplining of trimming their wick as that wick would draw up the oil that flame would be clean and bright, but a poorly trimmed wick creates a flame which is dim and smoky. A lot of us can't understand why we can't hear God clearly or we feel as though we're living life in our spirituality in a haze. It's because you have a, a dirty wick. And it's time to trim your wick. There are things in your life that need to be trimmed out. There's certain things in your home that need to be trimmed away. There's certain things in your attitude that need to be trimmed away. And God wants to do something. God wants to pour out his spirit on your life. God wants you. God wants you to be used as, as someone that is lit on fire, that is doing something powerful for God, that is a carrier of his anointing. But many times you've got to recognize something. The Bible says that we can grieve his spirit and we can quench his fire. And an untrimmed life, an untrimmed wick hinders what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. So we've got to be people that are quick to trim our wick. Trim those attitudes. Even things in your life. And some of you just got to turn off the news. You got to get rid of certain things. 
Certain sins, certain addictions in your life. Well, pastor, are you being legalistic? No. This is a discipline. Friends, holiness is a discipline. Grace is how we walk in it. But you gotta be, you have to understand, it's also, holiness is also a discipline. It's a choice we make every day to say, hey, there's some things in my life that are in conflict to what God is saying in his word. There are things in my life that are in conflict to the call that he's called me to. And I gotta make sure that those things that are in direct conflict with his word and his will need to be trimmed out of my life. So look at that person next to you and say, trim your wick. But lastly, as I close, we see these three disciplines. The first one is what? Confront complacency. The second one is fill up. Everybody say fill up. The third is what? Trim, <laughs> trim your wick. Some of you just like saying that. I hope he, I hope he asks us to say it again. I like saying trim your wick. <laughs> but the last is watch and pray. Watch and pray. You know, probably this, one of the saddest moments in Scripture was here's this moment with Jesus. He's, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to die. He's about to go to the cross. And he's been, he's been prepping his disciples. He's been letting his disciples know, hey, guys, I'm going to have to die. I'm, I'm going. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to die on a cross. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise from the dead. Be ready. He's preparing them. And now he's finally at this moment. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's pouring out his heart. Father, not my will, but your will be done. And he tells his disciples, if there's any moment, disciples, that you could show up, it's right now to pray. I need you to pray. And he, and he tells them, he communicates very clearly to them, guys, I need you to watch and pray right now. And he goes and he prays to the Father. He comes back, truly tormented by the moment, to find his disciples sleeping. Find his disciples sleeping. And listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 26, 40. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We've got to be a people that are watching and praying that we are people that say, Lord, what are you doing? I want to be tuned in to what you're doing today, Lord. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you've got to have that discipline to say, Lord, I, first of all, I want to tune in to what you're doing, but I, I need to pray. I need to connect with you. I need to walk in greater intimacy with you. And you know what's so sad to me is that Peter, in that moment, has enough strength to swing his sword and take some guy's ear off, but he doesn't have enough strength to pray. What does that mean to me is that a lot of times we reserve our strength for the physical but not for the spiritual. Oh, we can do what it takes in the physical, but Lord, I don't know how important the spiritual thing is. Can you imagine if Peter approached prayer with the same passion and fervency that he did with swinging his sword? Friends, we need to be a people that watch and pray. Because the Bible says to be in a constant state of prayer to pray continuously. These are the four disciplines that I truly believe if we can apply these four disciplines into our life, friends, we're not going to miss it. 
We're going to take hold. We're going to embrace everything that God has for us. Can I tell you, God has something significant for your marriage. But will you apply these four disciplines in your life? God has something incredible. All you business owners, God has something incredible for your business. Don't miss it. We've got to be people that fight complacency, that fill up, that trim our wigs, that watch and pray. If you're here this morning, you say, you know what, man, I, I relate to this message. There are areas in my life. Maybe some of you identify with the fact that you got to trim your wig. Pastor, there's some things I need to trim away in my life. Maybe it's a secret sin or an addiction. Through the incredible gift that we have of repentance today, we can start the trimming. Maybe for some of you, it's complacency. Maybe some of you, 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 the enemies actually convince you that you're not significant. And out of that lie, it's disrupted your, your, your very identity and who God's called you to be. Friends, you are significant to God. Maybe some of you, you're running on empty. Guys, I'm a pastor and there's moments where I'm running on empty. Maybe you're here and you're running on empty. But if you say, hey, that's me. I relate to this message. Will you pray for me on the count of three? Will you just lift your hands so I can pray for you? Ready? One, two, three. All over this house. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Can I pray for you right now? Just keep your hands raised. I truly believe there is an anointing coming on your life. Father, I thank you for this incredible congregation. Lord, people that love you, people that are called by you, people that have a significant call on their life, I pray, Lord, a spirit of encouragement and a spirit of might to come upon them. I rebuke every bit of discouragement, Lord, even the, how the enemy has tried to fracture their very identity. Lord, I pray now a restoring of purpose and destiny upon their life. Lord, I ask that you reveal to them any part of their life any part of their life, Lord, that's in conflict to your word and your will. Come and remove those things so that they can walk in the fullness of what you called them. And so, Lord, they can burn bright and clear. And I pray that now in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's sing it. Let's worship the Lord all over this house.